Hello, my name's Matt Price, and this is Conversations with Criminals podcast. Hope you're well, and I have a question for you. What would you do if you won £6.5 million on the lottery? I mean, I know what I would do. I would continue doing this podcast, albeit from a beach in the Bahamas somewhere, but I would because I, I love it, and I love my guests. I really do. And I also appreciate the fact that people are sharing it and making nice comments and leaving reviews, etc. It means the world to me. And today's guest, I just found particularly fascinating. His name is Lee Ryan. He's 57. He's mixed race. He's from Leicester, which I also found interesting because my dad used to live in Leicester. He lived in a place called Braunston. So I kind of knew the area that Lee was talking about. Lee won £6.5 million on the lottery and he was dubbed in 1995 by the press as the Lotto Lag. Now, you would think that if you win that kind of money, that that would be a trouble-free life. But of course, if you're a criminal, there are times when you can also be a target for other criminals. It was really good to hear from somebody who's been skint, made or at least won an awful lot of money, and then been skint again and come out the other side of that. Lee describes himself as a spiritual billionaire. And I have to say, he's a great guy. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed chatting to him. We spent a few hours together, and I don't know why. He's just one of those people. I think he makes you feel good, and you, I left feeling fantastic. So I don't even know if Lee is going to listen to this or not, but I hope one day that I can have spiritual billions as well. Although I won't lie, I wouldn't mind winning a few million just to see how it works out for me. This is part one of a two-parter, and in part two, Lee talks about the very serious threat to his family when people found out that he won money. Someone was going to kidnap one of his children, and he talks about what he did about it. So please trust me when I say you do not want to miss part one or part two. So as always, thank you very much for listening. You can go to the website, conversationswithcriminals.com, and join my emailing list now if you want to. I won't spam you or anything like that. I'll just let you know when I have more incredible guests and I'll put out some footage that will be unique to the emailing list. So then enjoy Lee Ryan. I was starting to mess around. Eight, nine, petty shoplifting, stealing money off the doorstep where the people used to leave the money next to the milk bottles for the milk man, you know, simple okay. things like that then. And as I, as I learned further on in life, it sort of progresses from, you know, stealing the milk, the money off the doorstep to push bike theft to moped theft, car theft, and car theft to burglaries, burglaries to robberies. And, it, and then eventually it can lead to murder if you follow the roadmap. Yeah, sure. And I wasn't far off the top end of that scale. And certainly the only thing that did stop me was what happened in 1995. Yeah. That stopped me from going and I, I didn't have any self-control whatsoever. I was gone. Before I get to 1995... <clears throat> I read. Now, I I know about newspapers. I'm not, you know, so I... Hit me. Okay. I read that you were involved um, in in stealing carts. Can I ask you a quick question about carts? Sure. Is it, was it possible, and bear in mind, I know very little about cars. Mm. You see on the movies, you can break into a car and someone breaks into a car, mm -hmm. they hotwire it and they drive off. Mm. Is that possible in Absolutely. real life? Absolutely. Back in the day, it was the easiest thing in the world. Okay. Now it's more difficult with a really sort of sturdy security they have with cars and tracker systems, and and that's in, why invariably car thieves will break into a house to get the keys for that specific hot motor or whatever, whatever they've decided they're going to use it for ram raiding or for robberies or whatever. Right. So now the the, the security is so advanced that that's what they would have to do. They'd have to 
risk a burglary charge just to get hold of a car. That's sorry. And usually aggravated burglary because the person is usually in the house asleep or whatever. So, but back in the day, then you back could... in the day, it was ten a penny. I mean, not bragging or anything like that, but I would steal two hundred and fifty odd cars a month or so. Some would be used for different things, and some would be sold on with parts and stuff like that. Okay. Just one after the other. In fact, I didn't need a taxi. I just stole a car and went from A to B. And then if that ran out of petrol, I'd steal another one. It was just on the second nature. Can I ask you about the things and the different things that, that, that cars were used for? Would you still sort of steal to order? Yeah, there was a lot of stealing to order. Um, sometimes I'd be a getaway driver for different jobs and stuff. And I was quite a good driver back in the day. So, you know, and, and you have balls of steel because you can't panic when you see the blue lights behind you. That's the last thing you need to be doing is panicking. And so, yeah, I was contracted quite a lot to do driving and bits and bobs. And what type? What type of car would it be? Would it have to? If you were going to be a getaway driver, yeah, yeah, usually Jaguars because they were heavy. So if the police did ram you, you had something to give them back. You know what I mean? Oh, right. You'd have to ram them back. Yeah. You know, you're not going to jump out and put your hands up and say, "Yeah, it's a fair cop." That's not how the game worked. So all this was very thought through then. Oh yeah, you have to. You have to think it through. Um, and there's a risk involved to every element of it. If you're being chased, you know. Somebody could run out in front of you, and then you're looking at potentially manslaughter, stroke, murder. So the game was the stake was always high, and and to be honest with you, it was, it was more of the adrenaline rush that you get from it rather than the monetary aspect, the financial aspect of it all. Which you know, easy come, easy go. You, you might get three hundred, five hundred pounds, six hundred pounds for nicking a car that night, or whatever, or maybe even more. Depends on what the car was for. But that that wasn't the thing. It was the rush. It was the adrenaline buzz of of committing that crime and taking that vehicle or whatever. That's really interesting. That mm. that was more important than yeah, the money. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because the money was it neither here, here nor there. You, you basically spent it the minute you got it. Probably spent it before you had it. Right. You know, it, was, it was gone. So um, that's how it worked, yeah. And did you... So you must have had a reputation then. Because... Yeah, yeah. Because I'm assuming that the type of people who would have come to you would have known your reputation mm. and would have trusted you. Yeah. Is that something that takes a while to build up over the years? It's, it's like anything, if you're good at certain things, then people will get to know about it, yeah. But in particular for ringing cars, when people would buy like a you know a, a damaged car from an auction yeah. and they would need the donor car right. to change all the numbers over to, that, that was more of a speciality, to be honest, because you'd have to go and seek that car. You'd have to find it in advertisements, like typical sort of auto trader thing you'd call the seller up. And um, then you would ask them, like, how, much, how much is the car? You know, can we do a deal? I'd like to come and see it, blah, blah, blah. I just want to check what's the registration number. I just want to check it out, do you know what I mean, on the HPI and blah, blah, blah. And they don't know that you're actually plotting to take the car, do you know what I mean? Right. Okay. And, to some, and some people, actually, as strange as it might sound, um, they would actually ask you to steal their car because they wanted it gone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Can you do anything with it? Well, what is it? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Nah, bag of shit. Or if it was something, you know, if somebody wanted to get out of a Porsche or something... And it could go missing because they just want the insurance money from it or whatever. I feel a little bit naive in asking you this. Mm. How do you get rid of a car then? If you don't, if it's of no, say, say you've used it or you'd used a it. A lot of cars can be broken down into many, many parts, even down right down to the engine components. You might not be able to get rid of the whole engine block, but it's not a big deal for a, a good mechanic or a good welder to, you know, obscure the number on the on the engine block itself and, and, and basically get the tools that you can put in a different number corresponding to, a, say, a, another car, you know, like a clone car or whatever. But it can be broken down pretty much into parts, and that's where the money was, actually. I wish I'd, I wish I'd bought a scrapyard years ago when I had the opportunity because the money is in the parts. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Does that mean then that there were other, that you would have had a close knit sort of team of people? Definitely, definitely. But a lot of orders um, coming in for certain high sort of uh, value cars that people, you know, bought the, bought shit eat from the salvage yard that had been smashed up unrecorded and then we'd have to go and find this car and they would just change all the bits over. And you, and it said in the, it said in the papers that you were working, I mean, they, they said used car salesman. Is that, is that well, what I mean? Not all of my cars were stolen, you know, to be honest with you. In fact, a very small percentage were, but to be seen to be working around cars all the time, which I had a different car on the doorstep, like Bentley's, Rolls Royce's, had cars long before, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Driving Rolls Royce's and stuff. And, um, that was also like a smother to be seen to be working on cars and buying and selling. So when you did have a stolen one there, which might be a bit tasty, nobody would really question it, even though it was on a council estate. People got used to seeing nice cars there, you know. So it'd almost be a smother, you know what I mean? You could get away with certain things like that. Okay. And then there was the export market, which I got involved in myself, taking them to Pakistan, to Malta, Turkey, you know, okay. for the travel aspect of it. For the travel aspect. Yeah, that so, was more so. We, the car had to be sold because that would pay for the journey. But, sure. you know, you'd go out and find people that would want, you know, certain cars, Mercedes or whatever. You'd sell them cheap, take them from Germany, from the showrooms or whatever. So that's how it became, you know. So you were able to steal cars from abroad then? Yeah, in the showrooms, yeah. Munich and stuff like that. And all kinds of places. Okay. Did you have to, did you do that alone or did you do it with No, somebody? there was a couple of three people because okay. you'd, you'd have to get into the showroom. You'd have yeah. to, you know, it was quite easy back in the day to, to get away with those kind of things. And I guess if you love cars, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? 100% loved, yeah. loved cars, yeah. And, yeah. But then we had to go to the length of having forged documentation kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So if you went through the borders, you'd have to have a vehicle registration that would say that's that car, you know, so they could just check it like that. And if you did get stopped. Right. So we okay. had to go into the forgery part of it as well, which was an interesting element. I I mean, you can see my eyes are lighting up. Yeah, but I... there was big money back in the day if we'd have done it properly, for instance. If you if you steal a car from Holland and you take it into Belgium or whatever, or somewhere else, you could take it down to Spain, being left-hand drive, Yeah, you could sell them anywhere. Once you've got the paperwork, you can sell them to anybody, anybody unsuspected, or you can sell it off and, and you'd never hear again from that person you sold it to. Right. But um, and, and then you have to think, well, okay, so what if I get caught in Holland stealing a car? Are you serious? I mean, well, they've got that much of a drug problem and prostitution problem, right? I think stealing a car is not going to be there on their hit list. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So many drugs are coming through that place, um, through the ports and stuff. So you just say, look, I'm, I'm not a thief. I'm just the person who's transported from A to B. What are they going to do to you? Yeah. So that you're actually limiting your exposure and your risk, right. as opposed to being in the UK where your record, my record was definite, so they could check me out. And, you know, you, you basically get spanked for the job you did before as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it could could have been quite lucrative if we'd have concentrated properly. We'll get into that stage. Yeah. Of being more organised and, and doing it to order for uh, Pakistani warlords, you know, heroin dealers. Even though I'm against the the drug trade. Sure. I wanted people who could afford to buy these top end uh, Mercedes. That that's what the whole point was. How how do those those types of people get in contact with you? I met a guy in prison who was um, who was seven five years for bringing heroin in in his shoes and bits and bobs. And right. so basically we were thrown, happenstance sort of accidentally thrown into the same cell. And I said to him, Malik, you're a Muslim, you're this, you pray five times a day and you're bringing heroin in. You, you, don't you see what that does to kids and stuff like that? He said, you bastard, why are you judging me? You, you'd steal cars. I said, well, it's hardly as bad. You know what I mean? And then we just used to take the piss out of each other. Right. Full on. <laughs> and I said, look, this is what I want doing. You have master printers out in Pakistan, in Lahore and places like that. I need certain paperwork printed. Do you know what I mean? Like vehicle registration documents. So I'm, when you get out and when I get out, we're going to meet up. I'll come to Lahore. 
and let's get this fucking sorted. There's money to be made. Now, you told me your uncle's a big heroin dealer and blah, blah, blah. He likes big Mercedes. I'll give him 50% reduction on cars. You know what I mean? We're yeah. still making a fortune. Yeah. And so that was all the plan, you know, to be more organised. Okay. That that makes sense. Just trying to get my head around the sort yeah. of the networking element of it. And also the travel aspect, because I would never uh, ship a car in, by container to from um, to Iran. We sold a few in Tehran as well. I would drive them there. That was the element of, that was the, the beauty of it all, you know, to get through... I mean, on the way, on the first trip to Pakistan, we did 15 countries, sort of like going this way and that, right. just to go through the different countries to say, oh, I'm never going to go there again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So, so I've done 30 countries before, beforehand, you know what I mean? Just driving cars, you know, place I would never see. And we're talking Normally. about, we're talking about sort of really We're talking about high-end cars. cars. yeah. Yeah, but the problem was as well, we, we had the money, we obviously invested the money in in the journey itself, because obviously it costs money, you know, five litre yeah. Mercedes, V8 Mercedes is going to cost a lot of money to, to fuel up. And, uh, and all the other expenses, we didn't sleep in hotels, we'd sleep in the car, we had all the gear to sleep in the car, usually by a police station. Right. We felt quite confident because we had all the paperwork as well, so if we got stopped, they wouldn't even think it's right under their noses, this stolen car. But we've got the, the paperwork to say, we twinned it with another one back in the UK, for instance, or in Germany. So we'd keep the budget down as low as possible, but Obviously, there was a finite cost to get a car from here to Pakistan, you know, in terms of fuel and then changing up and changing down the currencies, you would lose out. Right. So, uh, and then paying the border guys in Pakistan that this car did not enter. Do you know what I mean? Wow. That kind of thing. That's so, a lot of organization. <clears throat> yeah, it's a lot, but there was a lot of money involved in it. He kept saying, Lee, you, you, when you go back to England, you can take uh, heroin. I said, Are you fucking drunk, mate? I've never been involved in drugs. Never would I. I'm not going to be a mule for anybody yeah. I told you what my business is it's cars only that's right. it what you do is what you do it, to call you a, a former car thief doesn't really do it justice does it in a way because it's, it did for me because obviously it kept me below the radar do you know what I mean yeah if you know what I mean so like I say it wasn't like oh well, yeah as a vocation one day I want to be a car thief no <laughs> it don't don't work like that but if I was going to be one let's let's be half decent at it do you know what I mean and make some money <laughs> Then we're all going to go into the coach business as well and steal the big Van Hall coaches from, from Holland. Okay. Um, but in order to pay for the coach to go to Turkey, we were going to um, put an advert in the newspaper saying, you know, uh, basically um, American Express, was oh, it? Oh, yeah, Amer- yeah. What was it called? The the Turkish film where the guy got oh, put in prison. Oh, Midnight Express. Midnight Express. We were yes. going to call it Midnight Express. Right. And basically go all through Turkey and take them to different places, to okay. Fethiye, all these beautiful historic places. Right. And what they didn't know was the coach would take them one way. They'd be paying for the fare, but it wouldn't be taking them back. You know what I mean? We'll be selling the coach somewhere else in Turkey. Okay. And we're going to start to line up um, buyers and, and coach operators. You know what I mean? To yeah. We'll bring the latest Van Hall coaches. Now, if you imagine that coach, if we had, it's only paperwork. It's no different to having a steal in a car from Amsterdam or certain parts of the Netherlands. You come through the borders. You'd hardly end up get checked anyway. You'd copy the coach up with another number, right? The same sort of registration number. All these passengers were unwittingly on the coach with all their baggage and everything else. You know what I mean? You might go through the normal customs regulations, but once you found out what the paperwork was, you're basically stealing this coach, very high value vehicles, right? Right under their noses. And <laughs> all the passengers are paying for that travel, you know, paying for that excursion and the expenses in that. Okay. You let them down at the other end because you won't be coming back to take them back. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. It's... So that was the plan. Well, that was for me far more interesting because you have to plan things. Mm, yeah, really well, I'm. I'm just thinking that as well because because you know, if there were a few of you, involved, we had buyers lined up for the coaches uh, prior to being nicked when I when I was nicked for that those offences um, just after the Maltese one. That was the plan, you know, to go to more higher value vehicles, trucks and and 
coaches. It's interesting that you sat down then with your uh, with your friends. I'm assuming they're good mm. friends. Of your, you know, yeah. you'd have to really trust each other. At the time, certainly, we were you know yeah. birds of a feather. And then, and and you sit down, and would you have a meeting and discuss how to sort of progress the business? Is no, I had a friend friend who was an amazing thief. He could steal anything. To be honest with you, he had the balls to steal it, and um, but he wasn't too. It was it wasn't too good at being abroad. He was almost like a. Is it worth saying xenophobe to, and also scared of travel? Oh, right. Well, okay. it's dangerous in Turkey. Well, it's dangerous in Brunswick. It's dangerous everywhere. It's dangerous <laughs> anyway. You can go into Leicester and get stabbed. What's wrong with you? Yeah. But he would be more the sit-at-home guy. Um, he would help to steal whatever needed stealing at home, you know, whatever paperwork we needed. Because obviously you'd have to get the original paperwork from somewhere, like your green cards, in order yeah. to forge it. Do you know what I mean? So we'd just break into an insurance office and, and take the green cards. That's all we'd take. Right. nothing else of any value to us and so he would do all that and i would sort all the forgery bits out get the guys to do the forgery and then i would do the physical driving of the car the planning of who was going to buy it the meeting and greeting of people and and getting sales and stuff like that and right. it was interesting because it funded travel yeah. that, that was what it was all about really right. I'm, not, I'm not justifying what it was about i think it's obviously now it's the wrong thing to have done you know yeah but you can't turn back time but if you're going to do it do it well and we tried not to harm people in the process that's the yeah. thing don't get me wrong, people will be upset, upset that their vehicles have gone missing or whatever, but we were now targeting the commercial aspect of it all, like showrooms and stuff. Yeah. So there, there was less sort of guilt from our side. I'm thinking about the forgery guy as well, um, or forgery people. Did you meet them in a similar way? Was that through jail? or? Yeah, or? that was through uh, meeting Malik. He said, anything you want doing, we can do in Pakistan. They, they forged dollars out there, for God's sake. <laughs> you know I mean? Right, okay. So yeah. if you take them a logbook, of the current one at the time, yeah. which had watermarks DVLA in it. He looked at it and said, no problem. And then right. he gave us a price in rupees, which we thought, fucking hell, that's for nothing. Right. I'll have a thousand. <laughs> now we have to get them back home as well, do you know what I mean? So I posted them to ex-girlfriends in like bits, like hundred at a time. Some of them were not impressed. I, I didn't need them sent it to my address, do you know what I mean? Where they, they could be open, couldn't they, by the customs and then yeah. waiting for the other side. And so, yeah, and the aim was then to look at what else we could forge because paperwork's an interesting thing, you know. If you've got it, if you're stopped at a certain border, what we used to do is we used to hit them with paperwork. So if we did get stopped, you'd give them everything, even if they weren't asking for it. You'd have the logbook, you'd have the carnet de passage, uh, you'd have the insurance proper, you'd have all the documentation, and you basically give them the bundle, and it just overwhelms them. Whoa, what the fuck? So they're not going to lift your bonnet up and check the numbers, albeit the numbers are still precisely put, you know, the yeah. chassis numbers. Okay. And I mean, if you check that car out on the on the radio, if you, as if they're going to get on the blower to Scotland Yard. Yeah, we're in Turkey at the moment. We suspect <laughs> it's not going to happen. And and even if they did, it wouldn't come up as uh, stolen because we, we've twinned it with another car that we might have seen on the motorway, for instance. You know what I mean? And followed it, and then get the chassis number off the thing. And this is so it's so well organised. Yeah, there was a downside to it when you're driving through certain places. There was a bit of no man's land between um, Iran and Pakistan, um, where robberies take place quite commonly. You know, coaches are stopped and people are robbed at gunpoint or whatever. And so you have this very expensive looking car. And we're by no means affluent ourselves. You know, we're just about. It just about got the funds to, to export it ourselves, you know, because yeah. uh, we're waiting for the payout. And so, but they would perceive you to be wealthy people in this vehicle. Can you imagine, like the latest top of the range Mercedes? They're thinking, oh, rich people here. Do you know what I mean? We'll yeah. target them. So we used to um, hire Iranian border guards to come with us armed that would follow us through, basically. Right. And obviously, there's a kickback there. They believe the cars were genuine. I said, we just export cars all over the world. And we need a guard. They didn't believe that what they were doing was dodgy. I mean, you pay them X amount. Happy as Larry, do you know what I mean? So the network you built up was great. But 
See, everybody's looking for drugs, right? Everybody's looking for drugs when when they pull up at certain ports or the, have the dog in the car. By all means, you know, yeah. have a look. There was one Turkish border guard, and I, I picked up an Irish hitchhiker from Belfast, and I had my friend Darren in the car, who had never been abroad in his life, so we've just done fifteen countries circumnavigating, so I could show him Liechtenstein and all these different places, <laughs> right. and nowhere near where we were going. You know, Bulgaria. Let's go to here. You know, have you been to Paris? No, let's go to Paris, and we're just messing around. And so eventually we got on our track and picked this guy up, um, this Irish guy, who shit himself when we got to the Turkish border. Because that was it. Everybody out, really stern guards. What the fuck? You know, you'll, d- you'll bring drugs into Turkey. I said, are you, are you pissed, mate? Nobody brings drugs into Turkey. What's wrong with you? How your Ford car like this? Well, what the fuck's it got to do with you? We're house builders. We build houses in the UK. I'm taking the car to sell to my friend in Pakistan. What the fuck's wrong with you? Uh, you wait here. So anyway, they got the dogs out. I'm thinking they're gonna plant something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what Turkeys can be like. Turkeys can be like. Anyway, he made us wait till the end of his shift, which was about two p.m. And he said, "I come with you," which made the guy, the Belfast guy in the in the back, shit himself. I don't know why. He just <laughs> really got nervous. You know what I mean? Something's gonna happen here. He said, "You'll drive me home." So where is home? So he pointed out which way was home and everything else. So he stopped. He invited us in for something to eat because that's Turkish um, hospitality. Yeah. He said, next time you come, you'll call me. Yeah, you'll come straight through. What? He said, but I want peace of money. I know. There's something not right. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know what it was, but you're not house builders. Yeah. We're not druggies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these little connections, you know. Do you, do you think? It could have gone anywhere. And that's the beauty of it. I loved it. It's like yeah. being the boss of your own little thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. The fact that he could tell that you weren't straight. Yeah. He knew something, but he couldn't figure it out. Now, if we'd have been coming the other way, from Pakistan through Turkey with, with um, a Mercedes of that calibre, there's no reason why they wouldn't strip that car totally. Right. Or maybe even put something in there to get something from you somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be on your toes a little bit. And when the guy did put the, car, the dog in the car the first time round, it's a brand new fucking car. The dog's got claws. It's a big German shepherd. I said, listen, if you damage that car... In Turkish, tell him in Turkish. If he damages that fucking car, he's paying for everything. Do you know what I mean? He went, whoa, pulled the dog out. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes you have to be quite stern like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the aspect of it I enjoyed really was you're smuggling something so big under people's noses. That was a buzz. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Where they wave you through. Do you Hilarious. know, you know that old sort of urban myth? It might not be an urban myth about the guy who walked out every night with a wheelbarrow. If you remember that, and um, the security guard said, "I've been watching you for like twenty years, mm. and every day I searched you, and every day I couldn't find what you were stealing." And the guy said, "Yeah, I was nicking wheelbarrows, you know." And I guess do it right under their noses. Yeah, that that yeah. that is amazing. For instance, if you're shoplifting, mm. if I went like I'm not too badly presented, but you know, if you saw me in my sort of work gear, for instance, I might be. Being looked at on the security cameras, some you know, yeah. or not, they might be sort of stereotyping me. You know what I mean? I'm yes. non-white. Yeah. And obviously they might they might be, but if you go in with a pinstripe uh, suit on, yeah, you're totally deflecting everything that you know this this misconceived idea of what you know a shoplifter looks like. When I would venture that a lot of people in uh, pinstripe suits steal. Yes. From shops, you know, sure. the bankers steal. That's what they do. They steal from us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're the type. So I knew guys that professionally got dressed up, you know, just to shoplift high quality stuff. You know, that was their bag. Mine was cars. That was theirs. But they, they had to present themselves in such a way where they look the part. And so, so you, you can say to, to a border guard, if you have a little bit of attitude, yeah. a little bit of yeah, swagger, yeah, yeah. and, and then they'll think, oh God, he must be well, he's, he's fairly people. powerful. He's got, a, he's got a car that he, this guy would never own in, in a million Sundays. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the border guard would never. 
It could only as- aspire to that kind of thing. Isn't it interesting how attitude can get you so far? I don't and this car costs us nothing, do you know what I mean, to take. Yeah. It costs nothing yeah. to take, albeit there were expenses in getting to the country to steal it, say, from Germany or whatever. Yeah. But in, in real terms, the, the profit margin was huge. Wow. But yeah, you could you had to play it like that, if you know what I mean. And you had to look the part as well. Yeah. God, that's astonishing. Mm. Wow. But that was another life. Oh, yeah. As, as, as was the win. I, I see things in com- compartmentalization, really. It's little compartments. Mm. You know, if I'm 57 now, I would always say I'm probably 570 in some of the... It's like I've lived 10 times that, you know, oh. in terms of the amount of times I could have been killed, the amount of times I've nearly died, the danger aspects of everything. When you look back, you think, Ooh, did I really do that? Was In fact, was that me? Which right. I can't be that person now. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I want to get to that for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm At some point, of course... You're going to get caught. 100%. Can you talk me through? Can you remember what it's like as a as a young guy? Everybody thinks they're going to live forever, I think. Mm. Everyone yeah. thinks they're bulletproof. Yeah, you're immortal, aren't you? You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just no. the way we are. Mm. But can you remember... Who's to say we don't know well, in another form? Well, let's hope we that do. might be right. Let's hope so. I believe so. I believe this is just one more dimension as others. You know what I mean? This is nothing. I'm hoping you're right, my this friend. This is nothing. Yeah, I'm hoping so. How c- can you remember feeling invincible and then what it's like to get caught? The invincible thing, I think it's more like a cockiness. You know, we're too smart for these cops. Because be honest with you, let's be honest, most cops can't catch a cold. They, they can't catch you unless there's informers involved. Do you know what I mean? They are okay. pretty much fucking useless. Right. I mean, they're all going around uh, arresting people for stealing a sandwich from Sainsbury's, a homeless guy. Yeah. And yet, do you know how many thousands of children, hundreds of thousands of children go missing in this country, you know? Yeah. But there's no the, the the world's the country's not been shut down in in search for these kids. Where are all these kids gone? Do you know what I mean? And we have this coronavirus, which is tantamount to a common cold. The whole economy's been shut down. Anybody should question that, right? But no. Meanwhile, all these kids, where have they all disappeared to? You see, yeah. so they couldn't catch a cold, the cops, and they're pretty useless. And it wasn't hard to run rings around them in the first place. But what I didn't want, I didn't want them to put their hands on me anymore, because I didn't like that one-upmanship of a copper thinking. It was pretty dumb thinking that they had me over, if you know what I mean. If I was going to get caught, let it be by my own mistakes. But that's why we sort of moved abroad to take the vehicles from abroad, so there'd be no culpability here in the UK. They sure. couldn't really put their hands on me here. If I stole a car from Germany, it's a German authorities' business. Were the police aware of you then, here? Yes. Yeah, we were being followed for different things, definitely. You know, they had an inkling we were doing certain things, because the cars were being used for other things. Once we let the cars go, for instance, like if somebody had a Range Rover back in the day, you know, from the Essex boys type yeah. of tank. They were used for ram raiding and stuff like that. So you know, you have to be careful how these vehicles can be linked back to you. Do you know what I mean? Even though you've sold it on for what they want that car for, it might be a thousand pounds to get this particular car that they want to ram raid a jewelers for. So they've got their profit margin somewhere along the line if they're successful. But you've also got the comeback of the guys if they get caught. Well, we got supplied by Lee. You know, he's, he, he supplied the car. So we didn't want to be involved in that aspect anymore. We just wanted to do our own thing. We'll nick the car from wherever, abroad, and we'll sell the car and we'll keep it down to a minimum of the amount of people that know about that. Which which makes perfect sense. Sure. So how how did you get caught? Um, well, we tried to bluff it this time because um, for some reason we got to the Iranian border. This is about the fourth trip and these um, very, very huge Iranian border guards dressed in black, obviously like special agent types, were extremely stern. I don't understand. We couldn't bribe them. We tried every which way. No, your visa is not correct. It was correct. You know, we had a transit visa for it. We'd done it before. You have to wait and apply for a new visa. 
I was saying, how long could that take? He said, maybe one month. I said to my mate, well, I'm waiting on this fucking border for a month. You know what the weather gets like in the winter on that, right in the mountains up there. Um, is it Ararat Mountains, I think? And so we decided, well, we've got the right-hand drive car, which was destined for Pakistan. They have the same driving thing on okay. the same side of the road. So the only other right-hand drive country, apart from taking it back to the UK, which we couldn't do, we just, you know, that one was nicked from the UK, that Mercedes, was to take it to Malta. Now imagine that from, from all the way from the Iranian border, stroke, yeah, I'm trying Turkey's to imagine. Border. Yeah, we're gonna have to do a U-turn and fuck it, we'll take it to Malta. I've never been to Malta. Let's do it. Wow. So that's what we did. We did a U-turn and ended up in Malta, and that was the downfall. To be honest with you, I tried to get around it in many ways. We sold the Mercedes to a gold dealer who was very greedy. Do you know what I mean? So we made him a good deal, and and the, obviously I gave him the forged logbook and everything else that corresponded with the car. Now. I knew it might have a comeback, you know what I mean? Because the British ties to Malta and stuff like that. And he sent the logbook back to London to get it, DVLA, sorry, in Cardiff, to get it changed, which right. I wouldn't have thought he would have done. I would have thought he just got it. That's when they started to look into us because when it went to DVLA, this logbook, as well as it was forged, they know the difference between a forged one and a real one, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's when they started investigating. So they were investigating us behind the scenes for about a year while we thought everything was all good still, do you know what I mean? That's amazing. Mm. So it came on top like that. And in some ways, that's the way it goes. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a long time ago. Were you quite accepting of that? When, when you were caught, did you just think, well... No, of course, you know, anybody worth his salt would try and get out of it somehow. Yeah. And I would, obviously, I said that I, I bought the car legitimately. I didn't know it was stolen, blah, blah, blah. You're going to try. You've got to yeah, try oh, your... God. I'd never yeah. been in front of a jury before. Yeah. So I thought, do you know what? I usually put my hands up and I wouldn't involve anybody else. This time... There could be some bird here involved, you know, for the, right. how organised it all seemed. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So, no, nothing to do with me, mate. Do you know what I mean? So you try and blag it that way. Nearly got away with it, but hey-ho. And, and then, was that when you were then <coughs> sentenced to, like, three years or...? This one was 18 months. But three right. years was before that, prior to that. Thing. Right. Okay. So you go to jail. So you get 18 months. How mm. long did you do? Only nine out of that. I think that was result. But that was just after the... The, during the win, by the way. Right, yeah. I was going to ask you about <laughs> yeah, the win. I was, on bail for, I was on bail for about two years before. So when this win came, it wasn't in my best interest to shout it out to everybody that right. we just won X amount of millions of pounds. Okay. So so we didn't. We told the, the family, you know, the, on the periphery of the family. And and somewhere and somewhere it got out. I don't know how it got out. It was definitely not in my interest to be jumping up there and saying, I've just won millions. And so... That that really came as a surprise because I used to like to be in control of things. So when the press came knocking, you know, my ass started twitching a little bit, thinking, "Shit, this is not going to end well." This part, do you know what I mean? Right. Because now it's going to be a case of how long and how much. What know? what I <clears throat> what now what I read mm. is that you said to your cellmate, mm. "I'm going to pray to God that I win the." Ah, yes, game. that's absolutely true. That was Malik, the guy from Pakistan, right. and that Malik said to you. This won't end well. He said, be careful what you wish for. Right, okay. We were we always used to take the piss out of each other in the cell. There's nothing yeah. else to do, right? I yeah. respected his religion. He respected my lack of religion. Even though I brought up Roman Catholic, I think it's bollocks. Yeah. So I wasn't actually believing in any God or anything like that. Right. So he would be praying in the corner to the east. And after we finished, I'd leave him to it. But after he's finished, I said, what did you pray for, Malik? <laughs> he said, he always used to call me, you bastard. You bastard? I prayed to for my wife and children to be looked after. I cannot get visited like you, bastard. My wife, Lahore, your wife, Lester, bastard. And I <laughs> said, so, oh, that's lovely, that is. Well, that's a really nice thing, yeah. May Allah protect them and all this lot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I got on the floor taking the piss, and I did my own little prayers to my God. And he said, when I finished, bastard, 
what do you pray for? I said, well, the same sort of thing as you, Malik. Do you know what I mean? The missus looked after him, the kids, and blah. He said, good. That's good, Buster. I said, and, um, and I said to God, God, please make me a millionaire. And I'll, I swear I'll never, no, make me a multimillionaire, God. And I swear, <laughs> I did make that change. Um, I swear I'll never get in trouble again and I'll give shitloads away. He said, so when I told him that, he said, you bastard, be careful what you wish for. I said, yeah, whatever. And completely forgot about it. But I didn't know that that was sort of sowing the seed for what was to come. Is- and there's no doubt in my mind, right, Matt, that that is what initiated that. I'm telling you now. And, and, and it's weird to describe it to people. I wrote about it. I've not published the book, but I've got it. I have to send you the text of what I wrote. I have to read I'll, it. I'll stand on what I said. You can even see when it was written. And yeah. you read what I, yeah. the week before the win came, I was, I was coming back from town. I'd had a night out, no taxis or whatever it was. I was walking back and I walked past this showroom, this Jaguar showroom. And my love of cars was there always. You know what I mean? I had no intention of stealing the car because I was on bail <laughs> for that thing. So yeah. it was, you know, I had to really keep squeaky clean. And I was as, Broke as ever I was, you know what I mean? Because obviously you couldn't go out and do any sort of shenanigans. You couldn't make any money because you wouldn't, you didn't want to risk your bail conditions. Did you miss it? What? Stealing cars at that I point. Just, I missed just being active, whatever yeah. that might be. Yeah. So I walked by this and I saw this beautiful Jaguar XJR in the window. And I don't know how, but I knew I was going to be driving and owning that car. I don't know how. It just, it just seemed just natural, but without stealing it. And yet a week later, I went and bought that same car. The one in the window is exactly the same one. But... I had the premonition the week before that it was happening that something big and um, weird was going to happen. And it was good and bad. I know it was something enormous, but good and bad. No doubt about it. And that was a week exactly before. So can you remember what it's like to win? I mean, it must have been amazing. The, that wasn't uppermost in my mind, you know, because I had the stress of this two-year thing going on. I wasn't sure I was expecting. You tally it up in your mind thinking, I've done a three before, probably get five, yeah? Right. Five years. Um so you do three years, four months out of that. My mom was on that. When I was out at the time, these numbers were drawn. The missus and the kids are uh, on the sofa watching it and they're jumping up and down. And she's trying to get hold of me. She even drove to my local haunts. I wasn't there. This was when I didn't carry, you didn't carry the mobile phones around with you and all yeah. that crap. So it's only when I got home, all the lights were on. I was about two in the morning. Remember, this is um, a week after I saw the Jaguar thing and all that. Luck. So yeah. the lights were on. I'm thinking, that's not normal. All the lights on in the house. So I used to climb up on the bay window and then get into her window in the bedroom, come that way without disturbing anybody. Right. And so I thought, fucking hell, it's bereavement. What's happened? You know what I mean? So I've knocked the door. Her face was, when she opened the door, Karen, as white as a ghost. She went, where have you been? I was like, what? What are you on about? She said, we won. We won what? We won the lot. I knew. The minute she said that, I knew she wasn't taking the piss or joking. I just, oh my God. <laughs> I know where this came from. I know. Exactly. Wow. Oh my God. And they're jumping up and down. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm thinking, shit. They're jumping up and down on the sofa, brand new sofa and everything. And I'm thinking, shit, this is all going to get out. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is out of my control. But, but you can take the, op- well, in theory, you can take the option of we saying, we did take we the option. We did. We did. Absolutely did. We, that's it. And you could even check with Camelot. We, yeah. we went and did all that. That was all quiet mm. on a QT. But somebody on the periphery, I got an idea who it was. Sold the story to the press. There's no doubt about that. Would that have been someone who was involved in crime? Yes, in my in my thing. And right. I think I know who it was. And, uh, you know, when you just have that feeling, yeah, that, hold sure. on a minute, the, their reaction was a bit weird, you know? So um, so you had resentment and, and, and envy straight away from, from one of your partners in crime. That's as far as I'm concerned. But um, when they're jumping up and down on the sofa with glee, I'm thinking, shit, that's what it was about. Now, how do we contain this? Because this is going to go... Out of the, it was a, a, 
What's the word? Inconvenient time to have won the money, to be honest with you. How inconvenient, <laughs> right. do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Now I'm going to go before a judge, and I'm probably considerably richer than him. Do you know what I mean? That's not going to look good, is it? No, huh? that's true. So I've got to act up this one. This is going to be a, this is going to be a roller coaster ride. So I can envision, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds fine in, in five years. They're going to really put me down. So it was an interesting roller coaster ride. One I would not recommend to people, you know, with skeletons in the cupboard. So how long did you actually get then? You said you eighteen got, months. Eighteen months, right? Yeah, but got uh, ended up with nine months. Okay. But the interesting thing is, before the trial proper, um, we're in the cafeteria with my friend, and this lady came up to me. She said, "Your name, Lee," and I went to tell her off and swear at her because I thought she was the press again you know yeah. just taking the piss I'm about to tell her to fuck off and uh, and who are you she said I'm so and so the judge's wife okay take a seat right she said listen Lee it's like this this is God's honest truth she said my husband hates you Judge Benson my husband hates you and I said it's reciprocal do you know what I mean I fucking hate him <laughs> he's known as the hanging judge right What what's, what's the score well, he's not supposed to be discussing the case, but we talk about you in bed. He's seething. He's going to put you down. He's going to give you five years. I went, what? Five years? You know, trying to... Throw, I mean, three, come on. You know, three is about right. I'd accept that. But I'm still going not guilty anyway. Um, I said, that's it. I'm fucked. Five years. That's what I've got. And she said, but there is a way around it. And I said, she's quite attractive. I thought, might be able to chat her up and keep her on side. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it is. And so she said, I, I have my own um, law company. And so, therefore, if you were to, if you, if you were to employ the services of my law company, that would be a conflict of interest to the judge sitting on the bench there. I went, get out of here. I said, are you serious? Sign us up. Do you know what I mean? So now my barrister right. at the time had to then get up and tell the judge that he couldn't sit the case. The one who wanted to put me down for five years and been talking about me in bed and he wouldn't get up. I said, you fucking get up now, you coward little bastard, yeah, in the court, and tell him he can't sit the thing. I thought, we're done here. And when he found out, he was apoplectic with rage. He went red-faced at Benson. He, he he lost it, slammed the door. That was it. And court adjourned until such time they could put another judge on the case, which I thought, I'm still in shit street anyway, because they're all in bed together. Do you know what I mean? Probably the same old secret handshaking going on, dib, 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 dob, dob, dob shit. But I got rid of that one. Defeated him like that. Wow, that that's and amazing. I think you know that, that his wife was brilliant. Do you? Th- I mean, because I'm I'm trying to understand what his motivation is, and I'm wondering whose motivation that the judge's motivation. Yeah. Oh, he's got a little non-white boy. He's that's a few what quid. I was going to say. Um, he's he's he's, yeah. he's done a bit of bird, done some time and stuff like that. And what a little bastard! You know what I mean? How come? Maybe like, envy in his own little way. But the point is, that's not what a judge should be, is it? No, of course not. No, no, no. no. I'm just I'm just thinking. I just imagined that. He would have a lot of money. Yeah. And suddenly, and you've won it I legitimately. Think, yeah, that's right. He pays your money, he takes your chance. But I think after that, there were certain things that were coerced and set up about that whole thing. I do suspect that the jury, the, the foreman in the jury was a plant to make sure that the guilty was attained. Okay. 100%. I saw the way he was and I actually threatened him in court because I saw when he came out, the sneer he was giving. I just thought, I know he was the, the announced that he was the foreman. And I just knew that it all been set up. There's a woman crying in the jury as well. Obviously, been coerced into coming with her decision because it was quite close, I think. Yeah. Um, I tried every which way to try and get out of it through a few spanners in the works, as you do. Yeah. And uh, she was crying. I said, "Why is she crying? Why is she crying in the back of the?" Obviously, she's not happy with the thing, and he was sneering. I said, "Oh fuck! When I get out, I'll fucking kill you." And at that time, you know, I'd like to have found him, to be honest with you. Yeah. But it is what it is. Oh, that was definitely, they knew they got me now, right, I was going to get the time. But the, mo- the most important thing was they're going to get all the compensation money back. 
a hundred odd thousand pounds or whatever it was or something like that. And plus, you know, and the court costs and everything. So really, I mean, it was, it was nothing to me at the time with six odd million quid. Do you know what I mean? But that's how they, that's how they play the game. They, they basically flirt the foreman in there, you know, and to get that decision, you are going to get that decision, guilty decision. That's how it works, you know. That's a, that is. And, but the, bear in mind, that, a crook can't scream foul play. No. Really? Well, no, if you do, who's going to I listen? tried every which way, I swear to God. I yeah. even got some guys to come in on the jury, some drunkards, not on the jury, on the, in the gallery, and uh, they were drunk, and I wanted them to spurt out. That's that lottery winner, that fucking bastard. So that would have thrown the case, because yeah. supposedly nobody's supposed to know about these things. It didn't quite pan out as we wanted it to, but I tried every which way. In the end, once I got my time, I accepted it. 18 months, I think that's a result. But I only said because I said to the judge, I don't know how you can sleep at night. Yeah, knowing that I'm being tried by media already, they've already just, they've shown all my convictions. They've shown my ninety odd convictions in the newspapers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, prior to this trial, prior to a verdict, ninety odd convictions in the newspaper, and you're supposed to have a jury that's not supposed to know anything about me. I will move the case from Leicester to Nottingham. What they don't fucking have the the the, the rags in in Nottingham, the Mirror and the Sun and all these comic newspapers. They don't have them because it was on every bloody paper. And so you can see the law is an ass and it's, it's very corrupt in itself. Absolutely. I'm trying to think now. So when you then went to jail mm. so, and, and would the people in jail have known about your win? 100%. 100%. They were told I was coming in advance of me coming. So you kind of, I'm assuming that you got this kind of almost celebrity type status. I don't see myself as anything like that. Well, but no, but they probably would though, right? Because you've been I in the paper. I wouldn't say celebrity was the right word. I would okay. say certain, some, scumbag that's done well do you know what I mean you know but don't forget the envy attaches itself to I was just like about that. to say because because unfortunately yeah. I, I don't whenever walk of life people get envious right of course so I'm I'm not an envious person if I see something now I'm, I think god it's got a Lamborghini I think oh, the nightmare of owning that you've got to fucking insure it you've got to do this you've got to clean it you've got to make sure nobody scratches it fuck that do you know what I mean just lease something so, so you get into jail then to do this 18 month sentence you probably you know the dynamic changed though Matt straight okay. away Whereas before I'd go to the jail, I'm a bit of a lag. Yeah. I know the score. I know how to play the game. I can do my time. I'm, I'm, I'm good at doing my time, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. I, I can. I don't see it as a waste of time. It's time on earth for me. Sure. I can learn something. Do you know what I mean? Something else. Yeah. I used to read dictionaries from back to front. That's why I'm quite, you know, yeah. articulate in some yeah. ways. Like I, I, but not just read the dictionary, but understand what the word meant in its context and stuff. So I didn't waste my time. I re- you try reading a dictionary. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oxford Dictionary from front to back. You know, all right, I'll do 10 pages this evening. But you do it. Yeah. You know I mean, you come out with a bit more knowledge. And But the dynamic had changed in as much as I was now, I used to be the sort of um, the hunter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now I'm the prey. I'm the guy with the money that these robbers would typically try and rob. If you think about it. Okay. See what I mean? So I'm going the Daniel into the lion's den now. Not I, part of that set. Yeah. Divorced from that set. Totally standalone. That was a real interesting dynamic. I've never had that before. And then couple that to the fact you have screws who are the key holders, right? The bent yeah. bastards themselves. They they are the powerhouse there. Not all of them are too happy about me either, you know? Right. You've got this jailbird coming in there with more money than they'll have up. They have to do time. They don't get parole. He's in there, and they'd say, yeah, Ryan, you got fucking 18 months. Yeah, now you ain't got your fancy helicopter and your fucking Rolls Royce and Ferrari. I said, yeah, but dude, you're here until you're 65, mate. Yeah. Yeah? Every fucking day smelling that piss and shit, unlocking doors and all that lot, right? You enjoy your life, yeah? Yeah. And I did have a few run-ins with Screw, to be honest with you. I had to tell them from the day one, 
I ain't having no shit from anybody. Just because I've got a bit of money and I've got something more to go out to than, say, the average con, don't be taking the piss. You know what I mean? I will stand up for myself. And it did happen with one bold screw that was going around trying to make trouble for me. So I offered him out straight away. Straight across the landing, there he was, this bald-headed bastard I'd never seen before. He took a dislike to me. I didn't know him to dislike him. Obviously, he disliked this caricature that was me that he saw. Do you know what I mean? He didn't yes. know me either. Yeah. So I said, listen, get the fuck in my cell and we'll both duke it out. And whoever loses, don't go screaming home to mama. Do you know what I mean? Come over here and do it. And start. then from the minute I said that, he went, whoa, he backed off. Do you know what I mean? Because I would have kicked the shit out of him, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, and, and, and you'd have that with a few cons that obviously didn't seem to understand that I'd been, I'd been in prison, you know, seven years on and off. It's not like I didn't know what prison was. I've done the stall detentions and to the hard knocks, yeah? And I'm not an aggressive person, but I'll tell you what, if I'm ever, I'm never first to strike, but if I'm ever struck, I can't contain myself, yeah? That's why I'd always try and avoid situations. If somebody says you're a wanker, that's what I am. If you're, hey, you bastard, you wanker, you rich cunt, all this stuff, that's what I am then. Yeah. But don't be putting your hand on me, do you know what I mean? Because okay. from, a, from a violent stepfather who was a drunkard, I used to get beat up quite... So I know I can take a punch in or, or, or two, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know I can take more than most. And I know I can dish it back out if I have to. And But I can't... There's no sort of gearbox. What do you call it? The clutch. There's no regulator in there. If I lose it, I'll hit them with whatever's to hand. And viciously as well, do you know what I mean? And I completely believe you because... And I never want to be in that position. Yeah. But the fact is, you didn't, you, you weren't, you were avoiding violence in your Absolutely. criminal career anyway. The problem as well is when you avoid stuff like that in a, in a jail, they think, oh, we've got him on the back foot. You can't give them that right. option or that belief, right? So usually fights are sort of um, avoided in terms of how you look at somebody and how they look at you. Yeah. It's in the eye. They can see. Nobody really wants to get hurt. So they think, if I'm going to hurt him, will I get hurt in return? Nobody really wants that. Then you have the gang aspect where there's two or three of them want to gang up. And then you'll have to take the biggest one out. And you will have to hurt the bastard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have hit a few people with certain things and they just leave you alone after that. That's what you have to do. But you don't do it for nothing. The first person who starts on you, you have to give them something. So you're having to prove yourself all over again. In it is that kind of thing. But once they get to know you as well, they just leave you alone. Just leave me the fuck alone. I'll leave you alone. I don't care. Yeah. yeah? And then you form bonds with people and then... Somebody came up to me in the, in the exercise, yeah, I'll be your bodyguard. Big bastard he was. Obviously, he <laughs> lived in the gym. Do you know what I mean? You won't want to smack from him, to be honest with you. But nor would he want a dumbbell on his head either. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. When he's working out. So you've got, yeah. you got that element of it. Yeah. And I said, mate, to be fair, I've never needed it. And I'm not going to have it now. But thanks all the same. Well, I just want to walk with you around the yard. I said, well, let's walk around the yard, whatever. Yeah. But I don't need bodyguarding. Yeah. And then I'd listen to other people's stories. And it was really fascinating because you'd hear people say that, you know, I've got fuck all to go out to and all this lot, and you've got all that. And I said, listen, you've got a missus, haven't you? Yeah. You've got kids? How have you got fuck all to go out to? Yeah. What, you just, just because I've got a few pounds, whatever, that, that means my life's more worth, worth more than yours. What the fuck? Then there was a guy that came up to my cell and he said, uh, Liam, uh, my missus just died and, and I haven't got the money to bury her. I thought, yeah, right. Try that one on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Black guy. And, uh, so he was carrying on and I said to the missus, I made a phone call in the evening. I said, check this guy's missus out. Blah, blah, check out if it's true or not. And she had died quite young as well. Right. And I went, fucking hell. I, I thought, that could have been my missus just died. About the same sort of age, 30-something. Yeah. Just died, and you know, randomly just died. It's like, whoa. And I said to Karen, what's it cost to bury somebody? Do you know what I mean? She said, oh, I don't know. I said, well, just write out a check, five grand, and send it to this address. And that was sort of, and the guy was like, made up. Do you know what I mean? 
So he got released from the jail, albeit with screws, to go yeah. to the thingy to go to the funeral. And his missus were buried, and that was it. And I thought, that was pleasurable to be able to do that. But, oh, my God, I just thought, fucking hell, if I was in that situation, none of this would mean anything, would it? Do you know what I mean? No amount of money would mean anything if your missus just died and you're serving time. But then a few, few weeks later, knock on the cell door, as we're in this sort of association period, and he said, Lee, uh, same guy, his missus had died, and we paid for her funeral. I've got this business idea. I want to go out and start this and that. And would you lend me 10 grand? Would you? I said, listen, mate, get out of my cell and never fucking come back again. Do you know what I mean? And then you'd get other things where I'd help other people in other ways, but quietly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And and that was the, that to me was pleasurable as well. And yeah. then it was really weird. I was enjoying my time so much. You get screws coming around. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking cell numbers. I said, why are you writing them down? He said, yeah, lotto numbers. I said, you fucking twat. Do you know what I mean? Stop being a twat. Somebody wrote on my card, $6 million man outside. You know, it's got Lee Ryan, right. 18 months, and then $6 million man. I said, it weren't dollars, but never mind. Do you know what I mean? It would have been $10 million, actually. But, yeah. And so you'd have a bit of that. You know what I mean? But when it came to being released, I was almost like I didn't want to go. It's weird. Because I'd be back out in that world again. Do you know what I mean? Where you got all these cameras and all these fucking people wanting stories. and But you wouldn't have to commit any crimes anymore. That's true. But I wasn't so sh- I was almost saying goodbye to that other world, though. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and to me, it's the, like all time is valuable, however you spend it in, in terms of that. So I know that was the door closing on that world as well, which I gleaned a lot from, to be honest. And not all bad. I don't just mean like how to steal this and how to steal that. But I met some people there that I would never have met were it not for, you know, being in prison and stuff. So, But also, I'm guessing that they become your friends as well. Yeah. And friends... I met some good guys. Proper friendship. Some guys who killed themselves inside and outside. And, yeah, yeah I met some real guys who were real. And, and like me, all they did was chose the wrong path. Yeah, yeah. So... And that's all they did. That's that's the mistake they made, you yeah. know. So you would miss them. And you... Yeah, definitely. So I'd, I'd find my way to go and visit them and stuff to s- try and feel integral still to that whole regime. Right. But then you've lost that part of it. You've lost that mojo. I think it's it's like the money thing. People don't see it as almost like a bereavement because you almost lose a part of your life that you didn't think about beforehand. Your life intrinsically would change for the fact you've got money. Yeah, You couldn't pretend to be, say, poor again or something like that. You couldn't pretend to be... Do you know what I mean? Basically, that life is dead. Yeah. It's like a bereavement of sorts. And, and then you would always be wondering, what would my life have become were it not for the win, for instance? What would I have become? Would I have gone downhill? life sentence or whatever for something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're robbed of some part of you. It's, it's a weird thing. In the winning, there's, there's the loss as well. So that is the end of part one. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you very much for listening. Keep an eye out for part two. I promise you it's every bit as good. Bye for now.